Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. I'm Alicia Menendez, in for Alex, and we begin tonight with breaking news in the Mar-a-Lago classified documents investigation. ABC News is reporting tonight that Donald Trump's legal team turned over yet another folder with classification markings to federal investigators. It was retrieved last month from his Mar-a-Lago resort. The folder's contents were apparently copied onto a laptop, which is really important because it marks the first time anyone has suggested electronic copies were made of classified records in Trump's possession. From the ABC report, quote, Trump attorney James Trusty turned over the folder with classification markings to federal investigators and also informed agents that it had been electronically copied to a laptop of a current Trump aide. ABC News has also learned that after the information was recovered, federal agents retrieved the laptop from the aide. The laptop was not retrieved on the Mar-a-Lago grounds, the sources said. CNN Tonight reports that in addition to the folder, which was entitled Classified Evening Briefing, Trump's team also handed over an unknown number of classified documents. It also reports that the aide and owner of the laptop works for the Save America PAC, and that the copied some of the documents onto a thumb drive and laptop, not realizing they were classified. Thumb drive was also reportedly given to investigators. Now, I should note that NBC News has not yet confirmed this reporting. While it is customary for laptops and other electronics to be reviewed in circumstances such as this, this, for the first time, raises the question of whether classified materials were shared electronically by Trump or others in his inner circle. This marks the fifth batch of classified materials found in Trump's possession. The first discovery was made in January of last year after Trump finally returned 15 boxes of classified materials to the National Archives. Inside, they found 184 documents with classified markings and referred the matter to the FBI. Months later, June of 2022, after DOJ sent Trump a subpoena, his legal team turned over 38 more classified documents. Now, at the time, one Trump lawyer certified that, to the best of her knowledge, Trump had no further classified documents in his possession. That was until August of 2022, when the DOJ, suspecting that Trump did have more documents, took the dramatic step of obtaining a search warrant and recovered 27 boxes from Mar-a-Lago, including including an additional 103 classified documents. Around Thanksgiving, Trump's team found two more classified documents at a West Palm Beach storage unit belonging to the former president. Which brings us to today's news. The Trump's lawyers found and turned over a folder with classification markings materials that reportedly were copied to the laptop of a current Trump aide. The news of this latest discovery comes as FBI officials also confirmed they found one more classified document at the Indiana home of former Vice President Mike Pence after a five-hour consensual search. All of this happening as both men are gearing up to run in 2024. Trump already made the announcement. 
Pence expected to do so soon this spring. Also comes amid major new developments involving both men in the special counsel's investigation into January 6th and Trump's efforts to overturn the 2020 election. Just yesterday, we learned that Mike Pence has been subpoenaed in that investigation. Pence, in the eyes of many, is the main witness in that probe, which suggests special counsel Jack Smith is far along in his investigation. Not only was Pence in charge of certifying the election for Joe Biden that day, but he was also there in the building when the mob assaulted the Capitol and changed that the vice president chanted that the vice president should be hung. Pence is also the best witness to confirm what his top aides already said under oath, that Trump and his allies pressured him multiple times to impede the counting of the electoral votes in an effort to keep Trump in power. Pence, of course, refused to testify to the January 6th committee and in public interviews has called Trump's actions reckless, not criminal. So how will the former vice president respond to the subpoena? CNN is reporting today that Pence expected to claim at least some limits on sharing details of his conversations with Trump. So what happens next? Joining us now, Joyce Vance, former U.S. attorney for the Northern District of Alabama and co-host of the Sisters-in-Law podcast. Joyce, what a joy to have you at the table. It's so nice to be with you, especially tonight. Especially tonight when I have so many questions for you. Is the biggest surprise to you that the Trump team willingly handed over the documents, or is the biggest surprise that some of this has been digitized? You know, it's still surprising that we're being surprised at this point. There's been a subpoena. There's been a search warrant. Classified material impacts national security. You would expect that it would have all been returned at this point. So I think it's shocking, right, that there's still documentation lurking around out there. The reason one suspects that it was turned over is that Trump is now represented by Jim Trusty, a former DOJ lawyer, um, someone who is able to search for this sort of material because he possesses a clearance that's been reported publicly. And so he would have known when he stumbled across this or however it came to his attention that it needed to be immediately returned to the agency. But ultimately, the, the real jaw dropper here is that this is the first time, as you said, that we've seen indication that classified material was copied, was put onto an electronic media where it could be compromised. Either deliberately someone could have shared it or perhaps a computer could have been hacked. And so this is, I think, really a dramatic news um, development for from the national security point of view. I want to talk about the national security point of view, but first I want to talk about this legally. What is it? What does it change legally? I don't think it changes anything. It's additional evidence that doesn't work in the former president's favor, because after all, this was recovered at Mar-a-Lago. When DOJ executed their search warrant, it would have been very specific about the areas that they had probable cause to search. So now there are more questions. Where were these items recovered from? Were they removed from the areas where DOJ searched? Were they intermingled with the former president's personal items? A lot more questions. All of the answers bad for Trump. But if they're putting one document on a laptop, on a thumb drive, does that also raise the question that there are other documents that have been put on a thumb drive, on a laptop? 
So it does. You have to worry about that if you're the FBI, if you're the intelligence community, what else is out there? We've seen with Trump in this case that what we're, what we know, the documents that are recovered tend to be the tip of the iceberg. There is always more. And the problem is that this is not a situation like with President Biden or former Vice President Pence, where there's then a consent search conducted by the FBI. Here, it's just Trump's lawyers turning things over piecemeal. You talked about national security. What, is, what does it say to you? What's your biggest fear? So classified documents all have the ability to damage national security if they fall into the, the wrong hands. And, and part of what we don't know yet in this new reporting is what kind of documents were digitized. But top secret information tends to be the sort of thing that if it's released, it could do grave damage to the national security. So depending on what was involved here, and of course the FBI now has the computers and the thumb drives, one of the things that they'll look for in their forensic investigation is whether these items were shared further, whether there was any sort of hacking that compromised them. There is a lot of potential damage here. So that's the Trump news. Let's talk about the Pence news. Do you think he complies? Interesting question. Sometimes as a prosecutor, you send someone a, what we call a friendly subpoena. They tell you, I'd like so to that testify. Does that like have like a heart and an XO a on it? No, it's it, in it language. just as well, right? I mean, essentially, you're saying we're going to give you a little bit of cover if you'll come in and testify. There are reasons to believe that Mike Pence might want a subpoena before he testified. He's trying to walk this narrow political tightrope. There's also, though, some other indication that Pence intends to fight at least some portion of testimony. And when you think about it, this is someone who did not testify to the January 6th subcommittee. He led them on a little bit of a dance until at the very end, he finally said, no, I'm not going to testify. You know, as a public servant, as a vice president, you would think he might want the American people to know the truth. Hillary Clinton did that for 11 sort of brutal hours in the Benghazi hearings. We didn't see anything like that from Mike Pence. It's a little bit interesting to see how he handles this. I mean, the fact that he has called Trump's actions reckless but not criminal. I wonder if you think that is a line that he would reiterate should he choose to testify to a grand jury. That's why prosecutors are entitled to get his testimony under oath. And when Pence made those comments, and it was last December when he said Trump was reckless, not criminal, that's the sort of political conclusion you might draw. But, you know, it's not up to Mike Pence to decide whether the former president's actions were criminal. He's a fact witness. It's as though he had observed a bank robbery and prosecutors want to put him in the grand jury to say, what did you see? Who was involved? What happened? Here where Pence was, it seems very likely that there was an effort to recruit him for a conspiracy to interfere with the government. Prosecutors are entitled to get all of the details and then prosecutors and a jury can draw the conclusion about whether anything criminal happened. I don't think you have to be clairvoyant to know that Trump's team will likely claim executive privilege and some type of effort to block this. I wonder if you think we hear that from them and if you also think we hear it from Pence's team. So because this happens in the context of a grand jury proceeding, any sort of a challenge like that will likely proceed in the form of a sealed sort of a court proceeding. First to Beryl Howell, the judge who oversees the grand jury in the District of Columbia, and then perhaps to the circuit court. I know some folks have suggested that they think there will be a lot of delay, that Trump will play his usual delay game. I think maybe it won't be as long as some people are concerned it might be, because many of Pence's aides have already testified. 
their testimony would have implicated similar executive privilege type issues. And it's likely to me that some of the grand jury, the sealed reporting that we've seen, that some of that consideration involves these same issues. And the courts may dispense with it quickly, and and Pence may be in front of the grand jury sooner rather than later. Quickly, let me ask you, you have the FBI finding an additional classified document in Pence's possession during this consensual search. Where do you think this leaves Garland? Like, do you think DOJ ends up with three special counsels? Well, you know, the special counsel regulations say that you should appoint a special counsel if there's something criminal to investigate. So far, no evidence of criminality with Mike Pence. Of course, that's also true for President Biden. The counsel there was clearly appointed out of political appearances. Um, but you don't have to continue to make the same mistake. There's there's no need to appoint a special counsel for Mike Pence. Trish I'm always happy to see you, but to have you in person on a night like this, what a treat. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I want to bring into the conversation Yahoo Politics reporter Tim Lobianco. He is the author of the biography of the former vice president, Petey and Power, Mike Pence, in the taking of the White House. Tom, thank you so much for being here. In your piece, you write that the subpoena could complicate Pence's decision to run for president. Tell me how. Yeah, you know, this is the thing that Pence really can't shake off January 6th. It's still, you know, you, you saw him talk about it at length in his own memoir for the first time. We you saw the Wall Street Journal op-ed where he really talked about his anger. You know, he describes this as Trump's actions as reckless. Um, but, you know, the, the problem with that and sort of the same problem he had of, of sending his for, former chief of staff, longtime advisor, Mark Short, former counsel, current outside counsel, Greg Jacob, to testify to the January 6th committee, which is that all of that is under oath. A, a book is not under oath. And that's, you know, it's like the rest of the Trump era, it, you know, administration books that, you know, are still some of them, some of which are still coming out. Um, he can't avoid it. And I'll tell you, the subpoena really, you know, you can shirk a House subpoena and then, um, you know, you can run out the clock on that and hope maybe the chamber flips as, as was that. Tom, you were talking in purely legal terms, which I so appreciate. And yet I think we both know that there is a political calculus going on here as you have Pence looking toward 2024. Talk to me about the extent to which you think that is weighing in in his decision making. Well, he's he's been hedging so much on this, and I just don't think that he can. You know, I spent the last two years talking with his folks. I mean, I spent the last 11 years talking with his folks, but <laughs> the last two years in particular uh, about this, you know, this issue with him. And, you know, there's kind of what you saw when he was campaigning in the midterms was he was trying to talk forward, talk past it, talk about the future of the party. And he just can't. I mean, he's such a seminal figure in this, you know, this historic attack on the Capitol attempt to overturn an election. Um, And I I think, you know, when I talk with Republicans who are not either former Pence aides or not part of his team, (laughs) they don't they don't get sucked into this like this wish casting that you have uh, around Pence, Pence and his people on January 6th. They're pretty clear eyed about it. And they say, you know, you either take it head on or or you just or you don't. 
um, there, there's really no tightrope to walk here uh, for him. It's you kind of pick one. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about what little rope there is. You have CNN reporting that Mike Pence's lawyers might claim limits to what he can say about his conversations with Trump. I, I wonder how you expect Pence to respond to this subpoena, and specifically whether or not his team tries to put guardrails around him. Yeah, it's it's going to be a lot harder this time. You know, he was able to send the cutouts to the House committee, uh, you know, again, short and Greg Jacob. You can't really do that here. Uh, now, we'll, you know, again, it's, you know, as Joyce was talking about earlier, is, you know, will this, you know, will the executive privilege play out? Will it be a, a long running thing? Um, you know, all things yet to be seen. But this is a federal grand jury. It's it's not a House committee. Um, you, you can't run out the clock as Probably not as well on this one. Um, but I think the bigger thing for him is that it keeps him tied politically to January 6th. And that's something where, you know, if you look at the base, this the kind of that hard MAGA plurality that we still see in the polling that's behind Trump and to a degree DeSantis, um, they don't like that. Okay, well, you know, let's look to the other side. Let's look to the, you know, suburban Republicans. Let's look to the moderates, former establishment types, people who were never Trump. Maybe they're slowly coming back to the party, the less that Trump wields influence. Um, Pence loses them, too. Um, It's not it's it's shrinking his lane for 2024, which was already very narrow to begin with. This does not help him. Basically, it ties a millstone around his neck. So given how narrow that lane is, is there any doubt in your mind that Mike Pence will run for president? Well, you know, uh, a couple of days ago, I would have told you it's probably 99.9% guaranteed. Um, and he arguably has been running for president already in the shadow campaign that they've all, you know, Nikki Haley and all of them have been doing. Um, but, you know, I don't know that... If how much this changes the calculus, it just narrows things further. You know, I was talking with someone who used to work for him a little while ago, and um, they were making the point that you know Pence has been going to the mega churches, you know, kind of been hitting the Iowa, South Carolina axis, trying to play, you know, trying to shore up his evangelical support, trying to win a lot of that back from Trump. Of course, he ceded a lot of that when he joined the ticket in 2016. Um, but he was making the point that, you know, for Pence to win, you can't just lean on evangelicals. You got to grow. And he's not growing. And, and what January 6th does, it shrinks him. It shrinks his base. It shrinks his support. It pulls him backward, uh, arguably all because he hasn't really addressed it yet. Still. Tom Lobianco, politics reporter for Yahoo News. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Tom. We have got a lot to get to tonight, including a new effort to fight back against Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's so-called culture war. Also, after downing that Chinese spy balloon last weekend, the Pentagon today shot something else out of the sky. That's next. NetCredit is here to say yes to a personal loan or line of credit when other lenders say no. Apply in minutes and get a decision as soon as the same day. Loans offered by NetCredit or lending partner banks and serviced by NetCredit. Application subject to review and approval. Learn more at netcredit.com slash partner. NetCredit. Credit to the people. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. 
That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer, like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. I can confirm that the Department of Defense was tracking a high-altitude object over Alaska airspace in the last 24 hours. Out, uh, the, uh, the object was flying at an altitude of uh, 40,000 feet and posed a reasonable threat to the safety of civilian flight. Out of an abundance of caution and at the recommendation of the Pentagon, President Biden ordered the military to down the object. That was White House National Security Council spokesman and retired Rear Admiral John Kirby confirming today that another mysterious flying object has been shot down over U.S. territory. This comes just one week after a Chinese spy balloon was discovered flying over the United States, was eventually shot down by the U.S. military. Now, Pentagon officials would not confirm today whether or not this new object was also a balloon or what its country of origin was. We do know that the second object was notably smaller than the Chinese spy balloon from last week. It was about the size of a car, and that it was also flying at a different altitude, one that made a potential threat to civilian aircraft. For more on this story, we turn to NBC News Pentagon and national security correspondent Courtney Cuby. Courtney, thank you so much for being with us tonight. What more can you tell us about this second flying object that was just shot down? Well, not much more. Uh, I mean, a couple things we do know. It was shot down only about 24 hours after the U.S. military first detected it. So you mentioned it was flying at a slightly lower altitude. That is probably one of the reasons that they did, that the, the Pentagon recommended and the president uh, concurred to shoot this thing down. It was a potential threat to not only civilian aircraft, but also U.S. military aircraft that may be flying up in that area. It was also, and it, it was much smaller than the, the balloon that we've all been talking about for the last week and a half, whatever this object was, was smaller and it had a significantly smaller payload. That would also give a potential reason to also bring it down because it would have a much smaller debris field on the ground. So think about it. The bigger the, the object is, if you blow it up, especially if it breaks right. into pieces and falls, potentially it'll spread out over a further area. The third reason was, as opposed to the balloon that they were tracking last week, who they, they watched it as it came along the Lucians down through Canada and into Idaho, but there was a sh- only a short stretch of period where it was over an area that wasn't determined that it could injure or even worse people on the ground or infrastructure. In this case, they were able to take this one down when it was over frozen water, and so there was a high degree of confidence that no one would be hurt on the ground. So... Uh, one of the things that I find really interesting about this, this mm-hmm. object that we've learned about today is that it doesn't appear that it had the maneuverability of last week's balloon. And the reason I say that is the, the balloon was moving uh, south-southeast the whole time. We're told, according to the Pentagon today, that this one was actually moving northeast. And some officials are even saying that it may have actually just sort of been blowing with the wind mm-hmm. as opposed to being maneuvered or driven. So those are the kinds of questions that we are we're asking, trying to get an answer to. I understand that the, the U.S. government is saying that they don't know who this belongs to and they don't have a whole lot of identification. But the one thing I would remind viewers is that they knew pretty quickly after they first detected the balloon last week that it belonged to the Chinese. They were very confident and it was a surveillance asset. So 
it stands to reason that we would have answers like that pretty quickly about this one as well, Alicia. I love, Courtney, that I asked what more you could tell me. You said not much. And then you actually knew so much more about this object (laughs) than I did. Any indication that this second object was already in the air when the U.S. shot down the first one? No. And that was one of my questions, because initially, before we knew exactly how big it was, we were just hearing it was a smaller object in the air. And you you may remember that last week when we first learned about the, the, the enormous spy balloon that was flying over over uh, the U.S., there was some concern that one of the things it could be doing was dropping smaller objects. So things that would be more difficult, smaller and more difficult for sensors to detect. So when I first heard about this and that it was a much smaller one, my first question was, was this something that could have been dropped by the previous balloon? I was told, according to U.S. officials, they have no indication that that was the case. But but it's... It, it's it's an excellent question. We're hearing more and more ever since the first disclosure, like a, a little over a week ago now, about this Chinese spy balloon. We're hearing more and more about the about instances of these sorts of objects flying all over the world, frankly, over countries all over the world. So, you know, it, it's it's a fair question. We just don't have that answer yet. Another thing that I, I, I found fascinating about today's disclosure was it seems that once again, like they did last week, they sent the U.S. military and NORAD specifically sent F-22s up. And, and why that's interesting is it, it has a, it's a dual purpose here because the one thing it has these very advanced sensors and radars that it can get up close to this object and get a sense of what it is and look at it. But it also has the ability to take it out. It has aim missiles on it, which ultimately was what the U.S. used to shoot this thing down. So that it's always it's been fascinating to me to watch in both of these cases. They chose the F-22 to go in and both take a look and be a potential kinetic uh, asset for it. Courtney Cuby, I am always so impressed by your reporting. Our NBC News Pentagon and National Security Correspondent, Courtney, thank you so much. Still more to come tonight, including the latest effort to get freshman Republican Congressman George Santos to take accountability. Will it work? Florida Governor Ron DeSantis' culture war not confined to his own state. We'll talk about fighting back against the so-called war on woke. That's next. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. I spend my time delivering results for the people of Florida and fighting against Joe Biden. That's how I spend my time. I don't spend my time trying to smear other Republicans. 
Florida Governor Ron DeSantis this week spent some time punching back a Republican rival and battled former President Donald Trump. Trump has recently launched a series of social media broadsides against DeSantis, perhaps reacting to some new polls that show DeSantis either tying or walloping Trump to imagine 2024 matchups. DeSantis says he has one singular focus, delivering results. The past year, those results have been featured prominently in schools and classrooms across the Sunshine State. We've seen the state's Department of Education reject math textbooks for including data on race that the state considers problematic. We've seen state universities outright cancel courses that Florida might consider indoctrination. We've seen elementary school classroom libraries papered over with construction paper so the teachers can avoid felony charges for displaying books the state considers too woke. I want to do that on camera, too woke. Those are just some of the results of Governor Ron DeSantis' so-called stop-woke policies and his never-ending quest to vanquish critical race theory boogeyman like some legislative game of Dungeons and Dragons. This week, it seems like some of those culture war results might begin to seep into high school classrooms across this country. The New York Times reports that the DeSantis administration was in frequent contact with the College Board for a year as it developed its first advanced placement African-American studies program. The Times published a February 7 letter from the Florida Department of Education to the College Board that describes the discussions Florida officials had with the College Board. According to that letter, Florida officials warned the College Board for months that it would refuse to offer the AP class unless it revised portions of the curriculum that violated regulation requiring instruction on required topics must be factual and objective, may not suppress or distort significant historical events. Florida says the College Board acknowledged that it would make some revisions. February 1st, the board released the final framework for the course, which largely removed some of the concepts Florida found objectionable, like, get ready for it, intersectionality, mass incarceration, and reparations. The College Board claimed that the revisions had nothing to do with Florida, which had rejected the course before the final version of the course was even public. Joining us now, Congressman Stephen Horsford, Democrat from Nevada and chair of the Congressional Black Caucus. Congressman, I know that you are not from Florida. You are from Nevada, but I thought this was relevant for two reasons. One, because this is now a course that will be taught nationally that it would seem was at least changed to some degree based on what Ron DeSantis and legislators in Florida wanted. And because this may be their guy come 2024. So what he imagines is not going to be contained to Florida. It could be a vision for the nation. Well, it's clearly not the vision that we embrace. Uh, The Congressional Black Caucus rejects uh, the attempts by Ron DeSantis or other governors to uh, wipe out black history, which is a part of American history. And as we celebrate Black History Month, it's important that we instill uh, the, the true meaning of what it means to share that history with everyone, black students as well as non-black students. And several of the members of the Congressional Black Caucus, uh, Joyce Beatty, uh, Jamal Bowman, and Kwase Mfume actually released a package of bills themselves promoting the importance of African-American history as a part of American history. And we will be proactively advancing those policies this, this Congress. Here's the thing. As a student of history myself, As a mother of two daughters, granted they're they're young, so they're not here yet. I just wonder if without learning 
intersectionality, without learning about the history of incarceration in this country, without learning about the concept of reparations, whether or not you can understand race and racism in this country, whether you can understand systems and structures in this country that have been built on a racist foundation, and whether or not you can understand something like the conversation that we're having today about policing in America. Well, look, uh, Ron DeSantis and others like him are ideologues that are trying to divide America rather than bringing us together to share the unique experiences, uh, culture and history that we contribute to making America great. Black America, uh, immigrants from all over the world have made America what it is today. And we are not going to tolerate the discriminatory policies of Ron DeSantis or any other go governor in the country who at attempts to deny our true history. Talk to me about the conversation you're having on Capitol Hill around police reform. What do you think is actually possible given the Congress you're operating in? Well, what was great about this week is that the president, President Biden, used the moment of the State of the Union speech to speak to the spirit, to the hearts of the American people around public safety and accountability. We believe that bad policing has no place in any American city or community. And we believe that while promoting the culture of policing, we can actually make all of our communities safe, safer. I want to thank uh, the parents of Tyree Nichols who were there in the gallery, uh, who heard the president speak about the importance of transparency, accountability, and standards. And that is what the Congressional Black Caucus is working to advance in a bipartisan way. Let me ask you a question about Tyree Nichols' family. They want a provision added that would require officers to intervene, a provision added to the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act that would require officers to intervene when they witness misconduct. Do you think that's possible? It's a basic standard. Uh, our law enforcement and first responders, we had EMT officials that were there in Memphis who watched that beating occur and did nothing to intervene. Uh, so that is a provision that we are now looking at among others. Uh, but to be clear, what we're really trying to do is pass meaningful reform to keep all communities safe. This is not a black, brown or white issue. This is not a Democrat or Republican issue. This is a public safety and accountability issue. And all Americans should agree that every community deserves to be safe. And with that frame, what does that look like legislatively? So first, it looks like having the data that supports uh, information. For example, in Memphis, the use of force was used three times more on black residents than white residents. That's appalling, but that's information that we have because they collected the data. There are 18,000 police departments across the country. We need that data on a national basis so that we can have transparency. Secondly, we need accountability. The lion's share of police officers to, who put on the uniform every single day do a great job. They want to go home to their families at the end of the shift, just like families want their children to come home at the end of the day. So we want accountability for the bad actors. And finally, we want to instill uh, better standards so that people cannot move from department to department, that we have standards that help uplift the profession and that provide them with the resources that they need from mental health to social services to community violence intervention that actually make communities safer. I have about 30 seconds left, but I do want to ask you of the Shelby County, Tennessee DA reviewing more cases connected to the so-called Scorpion unit that was involved in yeah. the death of Tyree Nichols. I mean, 
would you see that as being part of the answer here? Absolutely, because many of these special units are then empowered to have practices, pattern and practices, which contribute to the type of bad policing that we saw in Memphis that should not be tolerated in any community in America. Congressman, thank you so much for being here tonight, especially in studio. What a thank, treat. You. thank you. When we come back, embattled Republican Congressman George Santos facing increased scrutiny from the Federal Elections Commission and a new effort to get him kicked out of Congress. Much more on that, plus an update on our team's exclusive reporting on Santos is next. Well, friends, it is a day that ends in a Y, which means Republican New York Congressman George Santos is, once again, under scrutiny. Today, we learned that the congressman, now infamous for fabrications about his life story and experience, is facing an order from the Federal Election Commission over his campaign fundraising and expenditures since the midterm elections. And this isn't his first time running, his first run-in with the commission. Just a few weeks ago, the FEC raised questions over Santos's campaign expenditures, but was asked by the Justice Department to hold off on any actions against him. The FEC requires those who have raised or spent more than $5,000 on a campaign to register their candidacy within 15 days of reaching that threshold. And according to a letter the commission sent to Santos earlier this week, his campaign, quote, has no debts from the previous election cycle, and has accepted contributions and or made expenditures in support of your 2024 candidacy in excess of $5,000, thus meeting the definition of candidate. The FEC has asked Congressman Santos to declare by March 14th whether he is running for re-election in 2024 or disavow raising and spending funds. But whether or not Santos will last in Congress through 2024 remains to be seen. Just yesterday, a group of House Democrats filed a resolution to expel Santos from Congress, citing his litany of lies, pattern of fraud and deception. This team has, of course, extensively covered Santos's lies. And today, after this program requested any and all police reports filed by Santos during the summer of 2021, the NYPD said it is unable to locate records that fit the congressman's claims made on a Brazilian podcast back in December that he was robbed in broad daylight and had his shoes stolen that summer. Joining us now, Democratic Congressman Robert Garcia of California. He led the resolution to expel Santos from Congress. He's also the president of the freshman class in the House. Congressman Garcia, good to see you. Thank you for joining us tonight. Talk me through What are the chances that Speaker Kevin McCarthy is going to actually bring a resolution like this to the floor? Well, yeah, thanks for, uh, for having me. I mean, listen, if, if uh, Speaker McCarthy chooses not to bring the resolution, uh, we're going to do everything we can to force uh, the resolution onto the floor. I mean, George Santos is a fraud. He's a liar. Uh, he's lied about everything. 9-11, the Holocaust, the LGBTQ massacre, but, but, but the Pulse shooting, uh, his career, his education. And obviously, he's under investigation for multiple financial investigations, financial fraud. And so um, if, if we're not going to expel George Santos, who do you expel? This is someone that we don't even know who he is. And so um, Kevin McCarthy should be ashamed. Uh, of, of supporting him, of giving him access to classified information, which he now has. 
And so we're, we're serious about expelling him and we're starting to get interest uh, from Republicans as well. That, that brings me to my next question, because I want you to sort of go with me here through this thought exercise. You have at least eight House Republicans who've already called on Santos to resign per Axios. Three Republican congressmen from New York support his expulsion. If I understand this is a big if, if it were brought to a vote, do you think you'd have enough votes for it to pass? Well, I think we're going to try to build that case. I mean, I think first and foremost, uh, you know, we're taking this one step at a time. First is going to the House Ethics Committee, which is the next step. Uh, then it'll be heard there. We're going to wait to see if they move this onto the floor. If they choose to not move it onto the floor, then we're going to try to force a, a vote. And we think that there are enough Republicans uh, to get uh, that done onto the floor. And then it's going to be up to House Republicans to see if they're willing to either stand with a serial liar and fraudster or actually try to bring somebody in that actually can represent the constituents. His constituents have already been very clear. They want him out. I, the re, every Republican that I talk to wants him out as well, besides maybe uh, Kevin McCarthy for, for his own speakership. And so we're going to do everything we can to force a vote and to put Republicans on the record to see if they actually support this person who we don't even know what his real name actually is. Here's the thing, Congressman, to your point about his being a serial liar, he is allegedly still lying. In a Newsmax interview, he said that Arizona Senator Kristen Sinema offered him words of encouragement, told him to, quote, hang in there, buddy, head of the State of the Union. But then you have Sinema's spokesperson telling NBC News that Santos's comment was a lie. Just like, help us understand what other repercussions are there for a member of Congress who lies about things as small small as that and as big as who they are. Yeah, I mean, I think first there's a couple of things. One is the, the House Ethics Committee is seriously investigating um, you know, all of his possible crimes. And so it's pretty clear that he has committed financial crimes, campaign finance violations. Uh, th that has been clear. And so that will come out. I think he's going to be held accountable for his crimes. Um, and the Congress can hold him accountable by expelling him now. Uh, in addition, of course, there is absolutely no way that uh, Santos is going to get reelected if he actually holds on uh, to then that period of time. We've asked for his resignation. Now we're trying to expel him. Uh, but there are multiple ways where he is going to have to own up to his lies. And quite frankly, uh, the law is going to come down on him. He has done some horrific things. He is clearly, uh, we don't know where all of the money that he got for his campaign came from. He's telling us multiple different stories about his business background. We don't know um, which names that he has used in the past are actually his. And so th this is not just a small um, embellishment or mm -hmm. maybe getting a couple of dates wrong. Uh, this is serious, uh, uh, serious fraud. In indeed. And there's reporting from The Washington Post today on freshman Republican Congresswoman Ana Paulina Luna of Florida suggesting she may have also embellished details about her life story. Now, she went on Fox News earlier tonight. She denied the allegations in the Post. She claims she has documents that support her claims. Let's just back up. This is a member of Congress who said that she believes Donald Trump won the 2020 election. She is a person who was endorsed by Donald Trump, someone who set the standard for dishonesty. I, I want to ask you sort of a, a bigger picture question here, Congressman, which is, what happens to our politics? What happens to our legislative bodies? What happens to our democracy if there's just no consequence for lying? Well, I, and I think that's really a shame. I think that's, first of all, I think we have a lot uh, to owe this, what, what the situation that we're in to Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump is the liar in chief. He is the con man in chief. And he has, he has allowed uh, all of this to be okay with a large part of the American public and with his base. 
And so I think these lies now are beginning to expand amongst the caucus and amongst, amongst different members of Congress. You know, Congress has to be a place where society must be a place where truth, facts, and science prevail. And Donald Trump has done his best to destroy all of those. And now you're seeing folks like George Santos and others uh, lie and then continue on. I mean, if, if these kinds of lies existed pre-Donald Trump, they would be out of Congress. They would be resigning. And so I think it's really a shame for the institution. Uh, and, I, and, and quite frankly, there's so, there's, there are many Republicans on, on the other side of the aisle that I'll agree, they are disgusted and ashamed, like Mitt Romney and others, of what George Santos uh, is doing. And I'm hopeful they'll continue to call them out. We cannot have this level of serial, serial lying uh, within the House. Especially because this is happening in a broader conversation in this country about accountability. California Congressman Robert Garcia, thank you so much for your time tonight. We'll be right back. Last night, Alex brought you the story of how a single judge in Texas could effectively ban the nation's most common form of abortion nationwide. Mifepristone is a pill, not much bigger than an aspirin, that has been used safely and effectively for medication-induced abortion by more than 5 million people since the FDA approved it more than 20 years ago. Since 2020, more than half of the abortions in this country were carried out with abortion pills rather than surgery. It's more convenient more affordable, and significantly less invasive. But despite all of that, right now, there is a lawsuit by an anti-abortion group in Texas that is seeking to overturn Mifeprostin's FDA approval. We were keeping your eye out for a potential preliminary ruling in that case as early as today. That decision could have banned Mifepristone while the case was being litigated, but it will not come today. The judge in the case has extended a deadline so that one of the companies that manufactures the pill can weigh in, so the anti-abortion group can respond. We now expect the judge's potentially country-altering decision no sooner than two weeks from today, February 24th. Put that on your calendar. Again, a preliminary injunction could put a halt to the most common form of abortion, not just in Texas, but nationwide. And the whole thing could end up before the Supreme Court, which has already made its view on the right to abortion access crystal clear. That does it for us tonight. You can catch me, Alicia Menendez, weekends at 6 p.m. Eastern on American Voices. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate.